Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What can American folk magic have in common with psychotherapy? Can Native American paranormal traditions help us rewrite the book on mental health? What is hoodoo? Hello and welcome to the 786th broadcast of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on WON, 1240 AM and 99.3 FM, and uh, this is our 11th year on the air. I'm Ben, and those brainy questions came from my co-host, partner in the paranormal, and dad, Paul. And uh, today uh, we bring you a returning guest on a very uh, practical subject, or practical? Yeah, practical subject. Uh, We welcome your calls today. Number is uh, 401-766-1240 from anywhere, or you can email paul at behindtheparanormal.com for that, or you can message us on uh, Facebook as well. Uh, First of all, we would like to welcome those listening on tunein.com and um, the Paranormal Radio app, which is carrying our show for the first time live this week. Dr. Paul J. Leslie is a licensed psychotherapist and educator with a great history in, great interest, I should say, in the history and folklore of the South Carolina, South Carolina Low Country. I guess he has a great history too. The author of six books that I know of, he has extensive experience in creative approaches to working with clients and presents workshops to other mental health professionals nationally and internationally. His books include Low Country Shamanism, an exploration of the magical and healing practices of the coastal Carolina and Georgia. His website, drpaulleslie.com. So, Dr. Paul Leslie, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Hi, guys. A pleasure to be back. Hey, it's great to have you back. So, I guess, you know, let's just jump right into it here and uh, start with something that's a seemingly simple question, but might not be so simple to answer. So, what is hoodoo and how does it differ from voodoo? Sure. Um, tell voodoo is the way that I'm uh, kind of char- characterizing um, essentially African-American uh, spiritual traditions that were imported from uh, Africa and came as a result of the uh, slave trade. It's a We use the term folk magic, and that's exactly what it is. It was uh, their way of... Um, Helping themselves heal both emotionally, physically, spiritually, have, uh, helping them deal with this horrific uh, events that they had to endure of slavery. And over time, it's incorporated other uh, aspects of uh, some things from Native American, even European American uh, folklore and spirituality. How it differs uh, from voodoo. Uh, voodoo is uh, was brought mostly from the Caribbean, Haiti, and it was brought over by slaves who were uh, enslaved by the French. The French uh, were uh, primarily uh, Catholic, and so when the slaves uh, were t- uh, uh, bought and, and brought up into uh, Catholicism, they were able to incorporate uh, more of their uh, African spirituality in the framework of uh, Catholicism, for example, uh, you know Catholics have uh, saints. Well, uh, the African, and I'm, I'm overgeneralizing here, but the African spiritual base has many different deities. Everything is alive. It's almost a pantheistic uh, way of, of viewing the world. So when uh, they were basically forced to become Catholic, this idea of having saints that are intermediaries between humans and God or the spirit world fit in with some of their traditions. So you see in, in Voodoo's uh, a character like uh, Papa Legma, 
who was uh, the intermediary to uh, the souls of the dead and all of that. Well, some researchers even see uh, parallels as in uh, uh, certain saints, like St. Peter, that maybe they use some aspects of this to uh, uh, hold on to more of their religion. Now, hoodoo was mostly what I'm referring to in the, the Carolinas and Georgia and spread outward, because uh, Charleston, South Carolina, is one of the uh, main um, slave ports uh, where slaves came in. Well, that's predominantly Protestant. So there aren't any saints involved. So a good chunk of the religious aspect uh, went away. However, the pragmatic magic and uh, spirit working kind of remained uh, very hidden. Uh, but you still see elements of that uh, in people who maybe don't they don't have the all the different deities to pray to because it's not a religion. But you'll find oftentimes uh, people working from a Christian, uh, Protestant Christian perspective who also incorporate hoodoo. I was actually just going to ask about that because it seems like voodoo is, is sort of like a cultural phenomenon. You know, I'm, I'm primarily thinking of like Louisiana. Um, but hoodoo seems more like a cultural taboo, part, pardon the rhyme there. Yeah, uh, it, it is. It is, and you know that's. It's really strange because in my research, I found so many uh, things that hoodoo have just totally in common with many other indigenous healing traditions that are, are very honored and respected. Uh, I, I personally think a lot of it's just we're already dealing with an issue with, uh, when you have something in the time period of the 1800s and early 1900s of African Americans because that was they were obviously a marginalized people, so their spiritual beliefs have been marginalized. And when you start hearing things like you know the uh, using uh, dolls to stick pens into and all those kind of things, Hollywood cannot wait to you know sensationalize and and. Mm distort those kind of things and then the focus then is on some of the negative aspects of of this uh, magical system and not the uh the the spiritual healing part the physical healing part too because there's a lot of herbal work and uh the hoodoo doctors and here in the uh, uh coastal carolinas and georgia they're known as uh, root doctors and that's uh giving an emphasis to their connection to the earth using uh natural remedies um, but they were also the the uh, the psychologist, if you will, of the the slave communities. They mediated disputes, all these kind of uh, things. So, unfortunately, uh, imagine this: the media actually distorting imagery. I mean, it never happens. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, it happened on this show. Yeah, that's yeah. about it. <laughs> but uh, so we, we unfortunately we get kind of a negative view of that. I think, unfortunately. So how does this, or well, how do you apply this to psychotherapy? You, you kind of skimmed skimmed that a little bit with, you know, it, it was it was sort of used as like a psych, psychological, um, you know, treatment for for you know the slave in the slave culture. But how how do you apply it with into psychotherapy? Okay, great question. I'm just going to go out and say I want for the record to say I am not officially a hoodoo doctor. Uh, I, uh, I've learned a lot uh, from uh, many different cultures, but I don't want to go out here and say that I'm, I'm putting myself, hanging out the new shingle that says hoodoo doctor. <laughs> However, the, the parallels that I see between most of the healing traditions and psychotherapy, th- there's a lot more similarities, I think, than we, we like to think. Um, the, the big thing, going back to, to hoodoo with the, uh, the root doctors uh, in the 
slave communities. A lot of times, uh, just for physical and, and mental health, money was not spent on slaves unless it was something incredibly severe. Because, uh, you know, the, they were, slaves unfortunately were seen as, as a product or, you know, almost like cattle. And, uh, you don't want to spend, you don't want to call the vet on the, on the cow unless the cow absolutely has to have that. And unfortunately that was the way it was with the slaves. So there was a whole thing in the community of somebody has to help heal. So naturally the healers, uh, evolved. And part of the healing sometimes involved spiritual and or emotional healing. Now, where the parallels between uh, psychotherapy and, and hoodoo and, and just magic in general is that for emotional healing, we all seem to need a shift in the way we see things, a shift in consciousness, if you will, of awareness and changing certain behavioral patterns. Now, hoodoo doctors a lot of times change these behavioral patterns through the use, uh, excuse me, through the use of rituals. Well, you can find some parallels in psychotherapy. We have what we call therapeutic rituals. The only real difference, honestly, when you get down to it, is where we think the healing comes from. If we're a Western science mind, we just think it's the changing of behavioral patterns, which kind of uh, breaks a little bit of uh, habitual responses. Well, the hoodoo people would say you're breaking something, but it's called breaking a spell. The ideology is in someone has either put a spell on you, you put a spell on yourself, or something in the spirit world has done that. And so by doing this ritual, we are breaking the spell. So some of these rather strange rituals and, and things like that are very similar in, in psychotherapy. It's just the ideology of where it's coming from that we're, we're trying to uh, make a huge distinction. Is there a relationship uh, between Santeria and any of this? Yeah, uh, Santeria is, uh, again, it's kind of from the, the Caribbean era. You find a lot of it uh, came up through uh, in Cuba, um, to uh, you find a lot of it uh, in South Florida, it spread. Uh, there's a good bit in you know up in New York area. So anywhere you see uh, uh, Cuban, Puerto Rican uh, uh, cultures, you you'll have some element of that. That's uh, very similar in a way. Uh, and I'm not an expert on on Santeria, but it is very similar to uh, the um, Louisiana uh, voodoo. Because you have these uh, spirit deities that you uh, pray to, but also those same kind of things of rituals and changing um, patterns and, and creating spells and, and those kind of things. It's just maybe some of the deities are, are slightly different. Now, what is it that attracted you to, as a psychotherapist, to study this these practices and... Uh, when was that in your life, and, and did you end up uh, interacting with uh, hoodoo doctors and root doctors and people of this kind in, in the course of your research? Yeah, well, yeah, it, it's it's been a strange journey, and I guess this is the kind of show to talk about strange journeys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I started out, interestingly enough, um, it's around 2013, 2014, um, I, I, I really was full-on investigating uh, kind of the indigenous uh, healing traditions of uh, the 
uh, descendants of the slaves, which we call here uh, the Gala. They live uh, out on the, what we refer to as the Sea Islands on the coast. After uh, Reconstruction, and uh, a lot of the uh, plantation owners had essentially left their plantations and left uh, a lot of areas, uh, the slaves were just kind of abandoned, and so they just kind of formed their own communities and were able to maintain some uh, culture and create uh, uh, new cultures. And in that, I started investigating um, how they they worked on uh, each other when it comes to, to emotional and spiritual healing, because one day uh, in a supervision group, uh, of um, therapists. There was a, a young lady uh, therapist who had a man who claimed that somebody had put the root on him. Now, I didn't know what that meant because I had just moved up from Tampa, Florida, so I wasn't really uh, certain about this. And then they explained, oh, it's it's like a, it's like a witchcraft, a, a curse. And nothing they did, no amount of, uh, they upped his meds, uh, no amount of good uh, therapy to kind of spot his irrational belief, if you believe that way, uh, seemed to help. And so my only recommendation is if it's so entrenched in his consciousness that he's got a root on him or a curse or a hex on him, you need to find somebody who he believes can take it off because no amount of convincing, no amount of science is going to, prove that differently but that got me really thinking it's like if it can have this kind of impact this power of belief and this belief system you know what's what's going on here so i just started knocking on doors asking people who knew people who knew people and eventually i was able to make uh, some contacts a couple that i still have uh, today i've actually formed a couple of friendships with people who i'd call root doctors you know some people keep uh, lawyers on speed dial i got root doctors you know it's a it's an interesting world in uh, South Carolina. Oh, we but, know. Uh, yeah. 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 We have yeah, family connections right. there, as you know. Yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, so uh, it's a lot of folks, though, want to hide. And I respect that, but they have a lot of uh, great tradition and, and great uh, ideas about uh, indigenous healing and hoodoo and things like that. But uh, we're also, uh, they're afraid of ridicule and, and um kind of a blowback if they come out, you know, to certain groups and say, oh, I'm a, I'm a spiritual healer from the, you know, hoodoo tradition. So it, it's, whereas, whereas you go to uh, New Orleans, I mean, crying out loud, you can take voodoo tours and go to voodoo shops and, you know, they've made it a real cottage industry. And here it's, it's very hidden. It's very alive, but it's still very hidden. Interesting. So I guess, um, I kind of want to take a take a step back and let's talk about spells for a second. Um, I guess I guess this is from from your point of view. Say you know you have a client that comes in and says they have a spell put on them. How right. do you kind of define spell in in sort of a in a way that you know like someone in like the 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 uh, psych- psychological community can understand? Yeah. Well, it, you know, again, a spell is where person feels um, inhibited on doing what he or she wants to do or they're having nothing but uh, they perceive as they're having nothing but bad luck everything they try to do uh, you know blows up in their face they're, they're having all these kind of things and so they attribute that to an outside source somebody has put a spell on me so essentially in this you'll find a similarity in something called narrative therapy they're externalizing so it's not 
them that's having the problem, it's due to something else. Or in narrative therapy, they say it's the story that I've created and I'm living out this story. Well, if you're thinking that someone has put a uh, hex, a curse, or as we say, the root, there's a narrative that you've started. So part of, from a psychological perspective, is if the person is so entrenched in that belief, I, as much as I would in some cases like to say, well, maybe part of this is also, you know, you might need to take some ownership of your life and, and be more responsible. I have to at least be open to the client's belief, the client's perception, because if they truly believe something outside themselves is, is causing uh, their present troubles, then I think, uh, you know, rather than try to lecture to the client and break rapport and certainly not help the client, have to step in and say, okay, well, how can we break a spell? And sometimes that's using certain rituals. Okay, you know, I'm thinking, too, of... Um uh, my conversations in Australia with an Aboriginal elder who, uh, and I love <clears throat> to find out the origins or <clears throat> possible origins of, of uh, things we do every day. Like, like uh, you shake someone's hand uh, that may have started when you wanted to show them you didn't have a weapon and yeah. that sort of thing. Uh, or waving does the same thing. The, um, the issue of, of pointing the bone. Uh, the Australian Aboriginal elder told me was, uh, you know, the, the way you, you would sometimes put curses on people and it was a bad thing to do. And uh, I wonder if that's why pointing is considered to be impolite. Uh, we have a caller here. It's uh, Rick from San Francisco on the line. Rick, welcome to the show again. <laughs> Always great to have you. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. You have a question for our guest. Yeah, yeah. My question is, uh, there's two. One, um, with hoodoo, has, is, uh, is there any relation to that in terms of what you see with biofeedback for mental health behavior? Like, for instance, um, I know in kids with ADD, they try to do that to try to help focus them. Uh, any experience with that uh, in, um, in terms of um, relationship between biofeedback and hoodoo? Does it seem to be similar? Uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. And the second question is uh, on schizophrenia, and I'll wait to ask that one. Okay, real quick about uh, biofeedback. Uh, I have some experience with that, but not so much with hoodoo. It's interesting, a lot of times with biofeedback, and those who are, who are listening who aren't familiar with this, it's essentially uh, a process, I don't want to go too much into it, take too much time, but where we learn to kind of help modulate our, uh, our own emotional state, control our heart rates and breathing a little more effectively. And so, as, as uh, Ricky mentioned, uh, a lot of uh, kids who have ADHD or even adults with ADHD or anxiety of any kind, uh, it, it can be an effective tool to kind of calm things down. Uh, I have not found anything like that in hoodoo. I found the exact opposite. In a lot of hoodoo, it's to rev you up even more. To kind of get past your your anxiety, you need to increase it. And so you see a lot of uh, dances, a lot of uh, uh, big ritual interaction intensity to shift the emotional state of the person. So it's not so much to calm down, it's to kind of rev them up. And, it, and it's like they, they get up to past the peak of where they are even higher, and then after it's done, it's like it's shaking up. Uh, their consciousness and, and they become a little more leveled out. So uh, I can't say that it's uh, uh, similar. It's like the opposite end of the spectrum. Okay, that's uh, fascinating. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, Rick. Oh, that, that is fascinating. That, that's amazing. 
to think that way. Um, my next question is about schizophrenia. <clears throat> have you ever encountered that with voodoo, and, and um, have you ever seen it work, or have you ever seen treatment for someone who's technically diagnosed with schizophrenia uh, or is psychotic? Because I always think that would cross into that realm. Um, yeah, uh, it's, it's interesting. When my book first came out, for a while, a good, oh, God, a good year, I was getting uh, a lot of calls at uh, my office, and it was uh, from a lot of people who misunderstood, you know, and thought I was going to, I was selling spells and things like that. But I got a few people who clearly, just from talking to them on the phone and, and hearing their background, um, and even some of them even told me I've been diagnosed schizophrenic. But uh, some of them didn't believe they were schizophrenic and uh, absolutely you know, felt that the reason they were acting the way they were or seeing the things was due to uh, spiritual reasons. And uh, you know, I was not in a uh, – usually they're, they're calling on the other side of the country, so it's a little hard for me to help them anyway. But uh, you know, I, I kind of directed them to not only some local mental health professionals, but you know, I told them there's some people in my book maybe you wanted to look up and, and that might help. But I, I think there – uh, a lot of times I see in traditional, and not just hoodoo, but traditional indigenous uh, traditions, when people start exhibiting symptoms that, and we're talking about schizophrenia, we're talking about a, you know, a wide spectrum here, you know, uh, so uh, certain uh, schizophrenic actions uh, that is not uncommon to say it, witchcraft has been put on you or a spirit, it's a spiritual issue, or in other cases you're being groomed to become a root doctor or a, or a medicine woman or, or something. So, yeah, there's some tie in there. Hmm. Okay. <clears throat> Anything further, Rick? Yeah, you always ask uh, very good questions. Uh, nothing further. Thank you. This is a really interesting show. Thanks for having me. Great. Well, on. thank you very much. Uh, thanks for calling yeah, in. Thanks for calling in. Okay, uh, we are coming up on a break in a few minutes. However, I wanted to get uh, sort of put a thought out there. Um, what of the? I know that we we've discussed the difference between hoodoo and voodoo, but uh, one one of the most upsetting experiences I've ever had, and I've had a lot of them as you can imagine, was in uh, 1984 when I was in Haiti, and I was uh, invited by a voodoo priest I knew to come to a loa ceremony. Okay. Right. And uh, among the things that happened there, people were uh, the, the. I'm pretty good at picking up impressions and feelings and stuff. And <clears throat> it was probably the worst feeling of the presence of what we call parasites uh, than than I've ever really felt almost anywhere else. Um, mm -hmm. They literally, took, at least it appeared, that they literally took over the bodies of two of the people participating in the ceremony. Uh, it, they were crawling on the floor. It was just, you could, it, it, the presence of these things, to me anyway, is alien, uh, dirty, it's just the best way I can put it, very, very other, you know. And they were full of, this place was full of them. It was a dirt floor and like a hut in, in a village, uh, not too far from Port-au-Prince. But the um, the outcome at the end was that they let, they let the people go, and the man was uh, t talking as he was possessed, if that's what was happening, I think it was, and he was talking, his uh, he among the information he had was the thing had given him the date of his own death. And I thought this was just awful, but he thought it was great because he said, well, you know, not, now I can get ready and I can get my family prepared and he thought it was terrific. So, wow. I, so I mean, uh, I mean you, you, you couldn't make this stuff up. So um, my, my, that leads into a, 
a question have you ever encountered in among your clients or among people who have sought your your assistance um, people who might have been under the influence of what we call parasites you know so but you know it's not necessarily within them but it really is an entity kind of obsessing or, or oppressing or whatever you want to call it whatever terms you want to use have you ever run into that uh, I will say directly, I am not. I had a, a colleague that I worked with who uh, had what he uh, defined as a, he didn't call it a parasite, but essentially it was the spirit. Uh, or, I'm talking about what the client, uh, you know, they came to the, this conclusion: the um, the spirit of the uh, deceased husband that was not willing to let go. And as a result, was uh, sabotaging a lot of things in the wife's life, particularly moving on and uh, you know dating and, and those kind of things. And apparently, she went and sought the help from uh, a hypnotherapist who was able to uh, bypass her critical factor thinking and get into uh, that unconscious part of her and kind of release that. Now, whether that was a psychological construct or a spirit. You know, we'll, we'll have to leave yeah, that up. But neither. in a way, <laughs> yeah. he did say it was quite an interesting uh, thing when uh, her physiology changed, her voice changed when yeah. he was interacting with this and uh, made him want to stop doing that kind of work, to be quite blunt. I don't blame him. Yeah, I was involved in that as an assistant at one point way back. Uh, but anyway, it's time for our bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 AM and 99.3 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley with our great guest and great friend, Dr. Paul Leslie. And we'll be right back. Hi, this is Don Brunell inviting you to join us on the Midday Show from noon to 2 every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday with the Super Quiz, great oldies, and interesting guests. That's Midday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday from noon to 2. Owen Radio! Well, that was quick. Uh, we're back behind the paranormal here uh, with Paul and Ben Eno and our guest, Dr. Paul J. Leslie. We're just getting going. We had to make the break short. Yeah, right. That's it. We're on a roll here. <laughs> they take away any time from this great conversation. Um, so, I, I mean, the uh, we often run into that, too. I mean, you know, not to get sidetracked uh, with this, but uh, that we find out that the uh, you know the angry father or the angry deceased somebody or other is actually a parasite pretending to be those things. But uh, be that as it may, uh, I don't blame the guy for wanting to uh, to get uh, uh, out of that. Um mm-hmm that situation and not to avoid it. it's pretty upsetting anyway can you give some more examples paul of clients you have assisted with the method of incorporating these um this approach yeah well the the thing i have uh, i've taken the most out of, or two things really that i've taken from uh who do to kind of I don't want to say apply it to therapy, but what they have a parallel is, number one, when you have any kind of interaction with anyone in a therapeutic setting, it's uh, research is showing this over and over again. It's not always the technique or the theory, but the co-creative process of client and therapist. I've noticed that the hoodoo uh, doctors who were very successful with change, it was uh, they would. It's like a performance art, if you will. They would create this shift in uh, in in the person's uh, awareness of themselves. Uh, essentially, create a what I've been calling a, a magical session to where 
they would uh, their the, the root doctor's uh, uh, behavior would be so different that it would cause this shift in the client, which then would cause a shift in the root doctor and co-create this performance. And a lot of times it's that performance of interaction that created an opening where the person was uh, more open to doing certain things or being more open to certain ideas that he or she uh, might not uh, be. Well, that's right there, psychotherapy. You know, if it's only about techniques and theories, we're very limited. We, if we, as therapists, we give ourselves to the session. So it's that interaction. Second thing is the the ritual, the ritual performance, the breaking of the patterns. Yes, for an, uh, an example, I remember I had a couple that was uh, constantly arguing over money. And uh, it's uh, a common thing we hear in, in therapy. And so... Uh, pulling some inspiration from uh, hoodoo, I uh, gave them a task is that they had to go buy a green candle because green is the symbol for money, one of those big green candles, and that they had to light the candle and then walk around together their house every night at 9 p.m. in the dark and uh, just quietly just make sure the candle didn't go out. And then they were to bring the candle in, blow it out, and put it in a special container and put it under their bed. And then sleep the night and then chop down any any dreams, write down any dreams they had that night and to share those dreams with each other the next morning. Well, from the psychological perspective, what I'm doing is we're getting a break in a pattern of arguing about money. We're carrying, taking something with care that is the symbol of money, and then we're getting them to uh, follow a, a different routine, and then to discuss something very personal that's not about money, and it's just kind of fascinating, you know. Dreams are, you know, the, the unconscious, and what happened? I mean, it wasn't a cure-all, but what happened is over the week, the couple for some reason said that they grew a lot closer. Well, of course, when all you're doing is arguing about money, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <you're>, <laughs> But that, I mean, you could change the ideology and say, well, we're doing this because of the spirit world and all that, and maybe that's true. But, uh, you know, it's that, that would be something that I took from this uh, remarkable system. I think that's really interesting that it's the power of symbolism is is one of the most permeating things in, in uh, human culture, and I think Carl Jung every time I think of, like, symbols and archetypes and, and icons and things like that. So I guess that kind of leads me into this next question, which is more taking us more to a broader spectrum, which is there's a lot of other indigenous cultures that do the same kind of thing. Have you ever applied any, let's say, um, Native American rituals or, or you know, sort of thought patterns if, if, the, if the case ever applied? Uh, that, yeah, exactly. Uh, specifically with Native American, I wouldn't say so, although in my research I found things that, like you say, is a... Is a, a close proximity. I, I found a lot with uh, the uh, Mexican curandaro, which is the Mexican shamans. They do a lot of symbolism in their rituals. And if you, you go broader, just if you're talking about magic, uh, we're talking about symbols. And yeah, I'm talking about, you know, not stage magic, obviously, but magic is a system to change consciousness. It's all based a lot on symbols. So, you know, certain symbolic images, what do they represent? And changing those images or changing our patterns around those images indirectly, uh, you know, uh, the, the Hermetics talk about the law of correspondence. If what you're doing here with this image can affect something in the other 
uh, area of your life that's tied with that symbol, you can start to create pretty magical changes. But yeah, I see a lot of uh, similarity. Uh, one thing I will say that is different from the uh, Native American, African, and Asian uh, from the Western magical practices is uh, even the West has magical groups and things like that. When it comes to healing, uh, there's a lot of collective uh, interaction in African, Native American, you know, the community as a whole, or even a, a council of elders. Or if the shaman comes, he incorporates uh, more than just the individual, incorporates sometimes the families and things like that. And uh, that's I found that to be uh, very beneficial. And, and as someone who's worked with uh, individuals, couples, and families, sometimes the more people that I can get involved in general, I can change something, maybe not directly with the client, but indirectly it affects the client. Well, in a way, that's kind of magic. Yeah, it is. <clears throat> I'm sorry, you threw Ben because I, I... Oh, no, you, I, I was actually just going to ask, because you kind of mentioned Western magic a little bit. Like, um, right. it, How does that differ? Well, again, it's uh, there. There's, I think, there's more similarities than differences. I, I wonder sometimes if our human tendency is to look for this is not that rather than this is similar. Mm, yeah. But I, I find there's uh, with Western magic, and again, I'm making these big generalizations because when you say like Western magic or Native American, you know, I mean, which Native American? How many tribes did we That's have? True. Yeah. yeah. So I just want to be clear that I'm very cognizant that uh, I'm doing that. Um, well, with Western magic, particularly you know the traditions like the Golden Dawn and Thelema and those kind of things, it's a it's very uh, uh, structured to where you know the spells were always followed uh, a more a certain way, and uh, when the group does, they do the similar kind of chants and, and those kind of things. Whereas um, there's less structure, at least I found. There's less structure in hoodoo and in some of the native traditions. The Mexican uh, shamanism that I've studied and read a little bit about was, uh, I mean, it's 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 more tailored to the individual. Whereas uh, we think uh, if we can get a template from the West and everyone does this, then everyone will get the the similar result. Uh, and that that's uh, probably a discussion with uh, someone more uh, steeped in the actual uh, specifics of Western magic. But I, it's, I've seen it's more the uh, Western mind wants to follow a certain process, a certain system. Mm. So, and this is yeah. why I think psychotherapy has a, a little bit of a identity crisis, is because when we're finding that the system of techniques and theories isn't the main thing that changes, uh, helps people change. You know, we don't know what to do. Whereas the other uh, cultures, it's about the interaction and the collective, and and so it, it it's kind of fascinating how we're, the similarities, but yet also the differences. Maybe this is where the island theory comes in that we're always talking about. That it's it's more than just us. You know, our whole self is not necessarily contained within our brains, within our bodies. There is non-locality, and that involves other people working with us in these things. One of the things that uh, my Australian Aboriginal friend told me was that, oh yeah, the curses and, and spells work, but only if you believe in them, which right. I found very interesting. And that yeah. leads to another point that we run into in our, in our what we call our sort of our multiverse awareness, the parallel worlds things, and the idea that there are other versions of yourself. And, and shamans, I know, have essentially confirmed that kind of thing in so many words that they maybe believe the same thing. Uh, and it's that... Um, 
you, you, when you, when you're the couple with the green candle, and and that's good old folk magic, right? They're the green candle for money and all that. Um, mm-hmm. They are everything you say is wonderful. I mean, they're they're changing the discussion. They're working together on something. But I wonder too if. Um, the subconscious mind, which in our belief, maybe this is silly to someone of your professional stature, but uh, the subconscious mind in our view is seems to be made up of parallel lives. You're living in other worlds, and it's all you. Uh, maybe that's just one, uh, one way of putting uh, some of the beliefs of Jung um, in some ways. But uh, maybe they are not only just affecting their own psychology, maybe they really are changing their reality or manipulating their environment because because the shamans I've took is that, that that's what magic does that's what prayer essentially does right and that they will view prayer as interesting theology prayer taken uh, taken to its next level uh, would be called magic or even maybe folk magic or whatever i mean what say you I mean, did, I mean could they actually be manipulating their own environments as well as their own minds well, it, if you go back to, and you guys are well versed in this, if we're looking at um, the, a lot of the the stuff that came out with the the quantum mechanics about right. how perceptions can affect even at the smallest, uh, you know, particles of, of, of matter, um, you know, there, there, some people say that that if if we have enough in, uh, attention and intention. Uh, we can uh, call certain shifts at that subatomic uh, atomic level, which you know can cause on the outside. But let's look at another way. I mean, you think of the the placebo effect, which you know most placebos generally outperform most medications. Mm. Well, if that's the case, that means that our attention and intention cause our bodies to manufacture more or less of something. So our minds caused a change in a physical component, which is molecules. You know, we, we haven't yet been able to prove that thoughts are things. So, you know, thoughts are immaterial. But somehow, if we think and we truly believe uh, that uh, that affects, uh, that chemical affects us, oh, we're taking a pill, but it's a sugar pill, but we think it's the real thing, and we start to see results, that for me says that the, the human mind, the potential to create all kinds of of um, experiences. Uh, it, it's very plausible. I mean, the schizophrenic who, uh, unfortunately, is seeing all these kind of things. You know, when people have a schizophrenic episode, they can have uh, you know hallucinations in their uh, visual, auditory, kinesthetic, uh, you know, taste, smell. It can be as real as anything. Mm-hmm. So their bodies are responding to what we on the outside aren't seeing. That, to me, leaves me with what a friend of mine told me one time. He said, we just got to get our idea that reality is plastic. Right. That's well put. <clears throat> one of the um, – moving to a – I'm sorry. Did you have something Oh no, we 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 should probably ask about what he's got going on first. Today. Oh yeah, you guys, we're going to be out of time, time, no time. Before we continue, <laughs> uh, please, uh, Doctor Leslie, tell us uh, about your books, where people can get more, your website, and any place people can find out more about you. Sure, thank you. Yeah, uh, books. Uh, easiest uh, way to to go is uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all the the usual uh, you know cast of characters uh, for that. <laughs> 
if you uh, also my website drpaulleslie.com there's a, a tab for books uh, I have a, a, a revised edition of Low Country Shamanism, which we're talking about now that's uh, come out recently, and uh, I'm really excited about it. I've written, as, as you stated earlier, many books, most of them about psychotherapy and things like this, but this this hoodoo book, it just won't go away. This is my best-selling book because people are fascinated, and I think I've done a, if I can say so myself, I've done a, a pretty respectful job to, to help people understand and, and to appreciate these kind of things. So that's the best way to find me is drpaulleslie.com and my, my material's out there. Very good. Okay, uh, a cultural question in, in the sense uh, the hoodoo tradition started in you know days when there was more or less of a uh, homogenous culture. I mean, people had the same or similar belief systems and yeah, th- there were uh, marginalized groups, as you say, such such as the former slaves, but but they they lived in a community. Um, mm-hmm. Is it today? Every beliefs are every which where you don't know what's going on half the time. Uh, people are in a rush. Uh, do you find that that the methods that you that we've talked about today uh, work just as well today as they did in a in a homogenous society? Yeah, I would say they're they're timeless, and the the reason I say that is because if somebody is you know in just any type of healing tradition, and I consider psychotherapy uh, a healing tradition, so it's one of the the uh, youngest <laughs> folk healing traditions, but it, it is one, and um, I, I think that what's timeless is. Anytime that we are interacting with another person, we're hurting, whether it's physical or emotional, and somebody comforts us, whether they're comforting us with their words, their actions, I mean, that's a timeless thing. If we seek um, escape from our pain and someone's there to help us navigate away from that, that's timeless. And the other component of timelessness is I truly believe our human brains naturally seek out even the most left brain engineer types or you know uh, something out of the ordinary we want to have an experience of something out of the ordinary now some of us might not believe that it's you know uh, paranormal or spiritual or but it's it's still something out of the ordinary that creates what the uh, author Bruce Hood calls a super sense where you get a feeling an embodied feeling that this is unique this is different this isn't the ordinary way that I experience my life well to me that's what good therapy of any kind is because if it's the same as you're always doing well what's the point in doing it so I think these healing traditions are uh, well it's timeless people will always seek them out if I could just point this out have you noticed uh that the psychic medium business is now a billion with a b dollar business Uh, i mean it's just exploded now granted the skeptical community will say and in some cases rightly so there's a lot of charlatans and they're cashing in because it's a you know new thing and that okay i get that but then there's a lot of people who are getting some kind of comfort some kind of results and they are now occupying the place that the shamans of way back when and either the, the medicine women and medicine men and the, the elders held in these communities. So I think it, we've just changed the names. We haven't really changed what we're doing. We just yeah, changed it in different clothing, so to speak. Interesting. Uh, you look like you want to ask something. Well, I'm trying to, I'm I, trying I had to, word, I'm trying to word it in my head. Okay, well, let me ask my question then. Right yes. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Paul, how have your your colleagues 
taken to this? I mean, what kind of reaction do you get from them? Interesting. You should ask that. Um, I've, uh, I, they're usually split in that, and, and for the most part, the, the people I associate with have been very supportive. But they're usually split into, you know, careful, Paul, don't go off the deep end, mm-hmm. you know. But then I've had some wonderful interactions uh, with with several uh, of my colleagues. One who is a a probably one of the world's top experts on psychotherapy outcomes who is, is really excited about the work I'm doing because he sees as somebody who it's not about theory and technique, it's about the outcome. He's seeing these uh, uh, groups, uh, they're getting results. People are, are, are clinging to, to these traditions, if you want to look at it that way, because they're getting something positive out of it. So he's curious as to well, what's the common thread between psychotherapy and hoodoo and, and any other of these forms of magic. So that. It, to me, it's it's been, uh, for a lot of people, it's, hey, you're on the right track. It's just a little scary, guys, and, and you guys have probably been here, too. I mean, I've been around doing the work you do, asking the hard questions, but uh, I'm in a, a field that has worked hard to make itself a science and to make <laughs> yes. itself all that. Uh, we sometimes forget that uh, Sigmund Freud and, and Carl Jung and Adler all believed in something called an unconscious, which you can't see, which is invisible which is mysterious. And uh, we've, we've worked really hard to get away from all that over these years and to try to be, everything's conscious, everything's, you can measure. And there's some benefits to that. At the same time, the unconscious won't go away. You know, that yeah. that timeless quality won't go away. So I think, you know, I got my critics, but then I, I'm surprised that there's a lot of people who are open. But I will say, I think they're happy I'm doing it and they're not. So yeah. I, <laughs> I get the arrows. Kind of a better him than me attitude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I relate to that. But, um. yeah. No, actually, I was I was going to kind of kind of make a comment thinking thinking along the lines of, you know, how, how we've just sort of switched the names and things in, in society. That really kind of over time, humans really haven't changed that much. Really, the only thing that's kind of changed is, you know, the gadgets we kind of use. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's true. Uh, I, I think uh, if we, we stop seeing ourselves as so radically different, and this is, I think, more of a Western thing. We, we just think we're continually progressing. And when we get a technology, new technology, you say, oh, look, we, we're progress. And it leads to uh, what uh, some people call the myth of progress. Yes, we have so much technology, but we're still dealing with the same ridiculous emotional issues we have. I mean, wars are still going on. You know, we're more effective at killing. You know, that's you know, we. I love my technology. We're doing technology right here. That's great. Yeah. But uh, you know, down deep, we, we still have our stuff, and no matter how much gadgets we have, it's still there. Well, I think kind of one of the things that that you know we as a society, a society or even as as a culture or a world have to really think about is, you know, what the what the definition of progress is, and I think I think the thinking of it as oh cool hey you know we have this new insane piece of technology like a smartphone I I honestly think you know as as a species we're not ready for something like that. Something yeah. that tethers us to literally every other person on the planet. I mean, we've mm-hmm. seen the destruction it can do. Well, it's, it's it could be tearing apart our society. Well, but. We we were a lot of rebels with the UFO community, and uh, I'm always fascinated how they will de- even 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 the PhDs among them will define uh, de facto define advancement as technological advancement. And I said right. that really scares me. 
and I mm-hmm. often make this this comparison. I mean, who was the most? What was the most technologically advanced society in the 1930s? Nazi Germany. How'd that exactly. work out? Yeah. You know? yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so what we say is, um, I, I would much rather have uh, a, a, a a civilization or a, a science or whatever that considers advancement to be spiritual and moral uh, than mm-hmm. technological, personally. Right. So, but in any case, uh, I'm thinking back uh, 45 years, because uh, I think I'm a little older than you, Paul, uh, to my experiences at uh, Augensburg, uh, New York, in the St. Lawrence State Hospital, working with a priest on patients who were believed to be possessed, you know, right. uh, because, uh, you know, when stuff would fly across the room, you know, th- things that were not attributable to the patient's condition were happening mm-hmm. all around, uh, they would call in Father Lawrence and, and you know, he sometimes would call me as an assistant. Um mm-hmm. The science at the time was very doctrinaire. This was absolutely hushed up. None of the professionals, whether either the nurses or the doctors, wanted anybody to know that they had anything to do with anything weird because it would wreck their career. So it's it's good to see uh, from what you say and from what we hear from others that there was at least a little bit of openness to s- some new ideas that go beyond materialistic science. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, those kind of uh, possession scenarios that you're talking about. I remember watching uh, some scientist and they were asking about that. And, you know, he said, well, there's obviously trickery involved, you know, the, the standard reactionary, skeptical. Yeah, who, uh, from people thing. who weren't there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but then they said, well, if you if you absolutely knew that that wasn't the fact. And he says, well, it's just I guess it would just have to be something like psychokinesis. Because you know those you know demons and things don't exist, and I about fell out of my chair. It's like, wait, <laughs> you don't think that's like even more bizarre? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been involved in cases. I think the 1974 poltergeist thing in Bridgeport, and the the cops are coming out and say, oh well, Ed Warren was causing the the phenomenon from his house by witchcraft. Right. I mean, how is that any more weird than what was actually going on? I, mean, I don't get it. Case closed, we're done. Get yeah, out right. of here. Yeah. Well, clear the traffic up in the yeah. case of the police. But anyway. Yeah, sometimes the explanations are weirder than the phenomenon. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so well, what, what's your, what are your next steps? Where, where do you go from here? Well, you know, it's it's really kind of, I, I want to say it's the future is uncertain. It's like that, that eight ball that you shake. Uh, it's, it's uncertain because yeah. I'm hoping that, you know, I continue to work and um, help people see parallels to maybe make my field of psychotherapy uh, more open to some of this indigenous wisdom. Now, I'm not, again, I am not advocating that psychotherapists become hoodoo doctors or Native American healers. I, I don't think that's appropriate. But I think if we can understand that the needs of our client go beyond our techniques and our theories, that maybe we can understand that there's a more of a connecting thread between these healing traditions and our focus can be on that instead of territorial uh, you know, markings. You know, I remember I was at a conference. I was uh, actually teaching a course and I, um, at a therapy conference, and I mentioned something about the ho- the hoodoo doctors or the psychics or something, and how some clients got a lot of value uh, from that, whether you believe it or not. And one of the persons says, "Well, it's only because the the mediums are telling them what they want to hear." And I said, "Well, that's possible, but to me, that kind of attitude uh, is saying that you know that's the only reason. There's nothing to that." As opposed to saying, well, what, what's happening in the interaction there? If we even take the supernatural aspects out, something's going on that people are, are, are basically uh, getting healing. 
And until we, we kind of erase some of these barriers and, and have a more open view, it would I think we'll be limited. I think my field can grow learning from others. And you know what? I think others could grow from my field. Excellent, yeah. Well, that's about all the time we have. <clears throat> Give us your website one more time. Sure, it's uh, www.drpaulleslie.com, drpaulleslie.com. Outstanding. Well, uh, we'll be in touch off the air, and, and a terrific show. Indeed. Talk oh, to thanks, you, I'll talk to you like tomorrow, okay? Okay. <laughs> thanks, guys. Thanks for the work you do. Well, thank, well, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, Dr. Paul Leslie, folks. Uh, my next book, Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeist, Parasites, Parallel Worlds, and God, is now available for pre-order on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and other online retailers. It has an official release date of August 28th, and that's when the book will be in stores. Uh, but the official release event will take place with our good friends at the Toadstool Bookshop in Keene, New Hampshire, Saturday, September 21st, beginning at 2 p.m., and we'll provide more information as the date approaches. And for any of your friends or family whose tastes run to the weird and unexplained, try giving them autographed copies of our books. Uh, our latest titles include Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, and Behind the Paranormal 2, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard Of. Uh, they're available from online retailers and in some stores, but for autographed copies, please visit the online bookstore at BehindTheParanormal.com. Our next big uh, big day, our event, will be on April 23rd at 1 p.m. Uh, when we'll be back at the Town of Prospect Senior Center in Connecticut for a presentation. It is open to the public and is a terrific, beautiful venue. So if you can come, please do. And then after that uh, comes the X-Filers United 2019 convention set for April 26th through the 28th at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Warwick, Rhode Island. And this event covers all areas of the paranormal, UFOs, ghost phenomena, cryptids, and more. Along with us, speakers will include our popular guest co-host, Shane Searway, filmmaker Alexander Petikoff, UFO researcher and experiencer Mike Stevens, along with America's youngest recognized cryptid expert, Colin Schneider, uh, famous medium Gary McKinstry, author Susan Brunel, uh, UFO experiencer Tom Reed, and a number of other big names. It's going to be a wild weekend, and we'll give you more details as they firm up, but the website is xfilersunited.com. And we do have the speaking schedule. Uh, we'll be speaking at 4 o'clock on Saturday afternoon, the 27th, so uh, for just for FYI, just before dinner. <laughs> um, Perfect. And then events later this year will include appearances at uh, Nashua, New Hampshire, uh, the Public Library in August, Book Lovers Gourmet in Webster, Massachusetts in September, along with the UFO or Exeter UFO Festival and the Greater New England UFO Conference as well. Those are traditions with us. Uh, also uh, in the works is a third book we're writing together. This one will be on the subject of UFOs beyond the assumptions. And check our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find out more about the show, our many cases over the years, public appearances, and you'll find over 800 free recorded shows from our 10 years uh, plus on the air, including our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS radio, along with special shows and podcasts. And also at BehindTheParanormal.com, there are links to several charities we have adopted on the show, including USA Care. Canadian Veterans Advocacy, uh, Helping Haiti's Orphans, uh, Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles, and uh, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America. And I do add that you know we know the people who run these things, and uh, the money goes where it should. It's, uh, some of these charities, are, you know, they do good work, but a lot of the money goes to uh, uh, administration, things of this kind. I mean, I understand that, but... Uh, 
we're very, very careful about the charities we recommend. So, Ben, what's going on for next week? So, next week on April 7th here on WON, 1240 AM, and then 99.3 FM, guest uh, co-host Shane Searway, geez, will be back for an sad. open line show uh, to answer many questions from listeners. You can get your questions on any paranormal subject at paulbehindtheparanormal.com, our Facebook page, or you can call during the show. Well, that's about all the time we have. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you behind the paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.